You're listening to Grace Saves All, the podcast which exists at the spiritual intersection of Christianity and universal salvation. In this podcast, we will be exploring an ancient and modern approach to Christianity, which affirms both that grace saves alone and that grace goes to all. And now, here is David Artman, author of Grace Saves All, The Necessity of Christian Universalism. Hello, everyone. In March of 2018, I was invited by the minister of a Presbyterian church, PCUSA, to deliver a devotional sermon at a series of midweek Lenten luncheon services they were having. It is the tradition of that church to invite ministers from a variety of backgrounds to share in these talks. My talk was scheduled to be held in their sanctuary during Holy Week on the Wednesday before Easter. After the invitation to speak was given to me, I immediately thought that the Presbyterian Church would be a good setting in which to thank the Reformed theological heritage of the Presbyterian Church for helping me to see more clearly the importance of the sovereignty of God, as well as the understanding that it is grace alone that saves. And then it came to me that I would like to use as my text for that day Jesus' declaration recorded in John 12.32, When I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. My talk at the Presbyterian Church was video recorded and is available online on YouTube under the title David Artman Linton Devotional. However, before we get to the text of my devotional sermon, there is one thing about John 12:32 that I would like to say. In the New International Version and the English Standard Version and the Good News Version and other versions, it's sometimes translated as, when I am lifted up. Meanwhile, in the King James Version, the New American Standard Bible, Young's Literal, and other versions, it's translated as, if I am lifted up. When I gave the devotional sermon, the pulpit Bible from which I read had it, when I am lifted up. In my own written notes, I was not consistent and moved back and forth between if I am lifted up and when I am lifted up. I'm not sure which translation is superior, and it doesn't change my basic presentation too much, but I did want to point it out because others noticed and wondered about it. All right, here's what I had to say that day. I want to begin today by saying how honored and humbled I am to be invited to speak here at the Presbyterian Church. I am grateful to the Presbyterian Church for its warmth and its hospitality. I have always felt welcome here, and I have always felt a spiritual bond with the Presbyterian Church, and that bond has strengthened even more so, because the spiritual tradition of this church has lately played an important role in my own continuing spiritual growth and development. The Presbyterian Church has its theological roots in the Reformed theological tradition, which goes back to John Calvin and in many ways even farther back to the time of St. Augustine in the early church. And there are two parts of this Reformed theological tradition which have become increasingly important to me as I have continued to grow spiritually. But before I get to these two points, let me first say something about spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is a funny thing. At certain points in your life you can feel so certain that you are right about something, and then later on you can see it a bit differently. I remember when I was in seminary, coming to the end of my first year, I had just recently been exposed to the many great questions that had vexed theological minds down through the centuries. 
and I was visiting with a friend of mine, and I said to him, You know, just think of all the complicated theological dilemmas that there are, and after just one year in seminary, I'm right about everything. Isn't that amazing? I mean, what are the odds of that? With regard to my correctness in all things spiritual, I like to say, I've always been right about everything, but I have changed my mind a few times. So, with regard to this, there are two particular areas of the Reformed theological tradition of the Presbyterian Church that have helped me to be, shall we say, right in a different way than I was right before. Now, in my church, the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, we are each encouraged to come to our own best theological understandings and ideas. In our church, we put it this way sometimes, we have no creed but Christ, and everybody is welcome. So, what I share here are my theological opinions, my deepest understanding of what this all means. And so, now back to these two parts of the Reformed tradition that have become important to me. The first area where I've changed my opinion because of the Reformed tradition has to do with the sovereignty of God. Now, the sovereignty of God is a major theme in Reformed theology. To speak of God as being sovereign is to speak of the way in which God is finally in charge. After all, we do read in the Bible of a God who no one is able to withstand, Chronicles 26, who does whatever he pleases, Psalm 115.3, whose purpose is established regardless of what plans the human mind may devise, Proverbs 19.21, whose purposes may not be thwarted, Job 42.2, whose plans always come to pass, Isaiah 14.24, who declares the end from the beginning and who says, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose, Isaiah 46.10, who accomplishes all things according to his will, Ephesians 1.11, for whom nothing is too hard, Jeremiah 32.27, and for whom all things are possible, Matthew 19.26. Because of biblical affirmations such as these, the sovereignty of God is a central theme in Reformed theology. And now it's something that I have learned to receive as good news in my own spiritual life. I used to think I was the one in charge of my eternal spiritual destiny. I used to think I was the one who would ultimately decide where I ended up. But now I have come to rest in the security that it's God who is finally in charge of my spiritual destiny, not me. God is the one driving the ship of my salvation. My only job is to trust. I still have my part to do, but God is with me, encouraging me, nudging me, keeping me moving along. When it comes to my salvation, I have come to believe that God is, as they say, in it to win it. Coming to rest in the sovereignty of God has allowed me to have peace because my peace is not in my ability, but in God's. This has allowed me to work hard spiritually, not because I am afraid I will fail, but because I am confident that God's work in me will not fail. The sovereignty of God has become for me security. Now, if the sovereignty of God is the first opinion the Reformed tradition has changed my mind about, the second great thing it has helped me to change my mind on is about the power of grace to save. In the Reformed theological tradition, it is understood that grace alone saves. Grace doesn't just lead part of the way to salvation, 
it leads all the way to salvation. Because of Reformed theology, I now understand better than ever Paul's declaration in Ephesians 2.8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Salvation is not something I am achieving with God. Salvation is something God is achieving with me, by grace alone, through faith alone. Grace is the way God ignited faith in my life. Grace is the way I was born again. Grace is the way God moved in me to give me the new birth from above. As Jesus told Nicodemus that fateful night, The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. John 3.8 Grace, like the Spirit, has its own movements and its own schedule. It is not for me to control, but it is for me to cooperate. I am thankful that the Presbyterian Church and the Reformed theological tradition has helped me to see all of this more clearly. And now I want to share another spiritual understanding which has become important to me, and it has to do with my text for today, John 12:32. This text is especially appropriate for Holy Week because it has to do with Jesus' understanding of the cross. In John 12:32, Jesus proclaims, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. When Jesus spoke about being lifted up, he was referring to how he would suffer and die. We know this because in the very next verse, John 12:33, it says, He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So Jesus, referring to the cross, said that if he was lifted up, he would draw all people to himself. First, I would like to turn our attention to the verb which is translated draw in this verse. The word translated draw is taken from the Greek word helkuo. This same word is used later in John's Gospel, John 18, to describe how Peter drew his sword to defend Jesus on the night of his arrest. Even later in John's Gospel, John chapter 21, that word is also used to tell us what Jesus' disciples were doing when they dragged a net full of fish to Jesus. In John 12:32, where Jesus states his intention to draw all people to himself if he is lifted up, the same verb, Helkuo is used. Therefore, when Jesus speaks of drawing all people to himself after being lifted up, he's speaking like a man resolutely drawing a sword, or like a fisherman straining to drag in a net full of fish. This tells me that Jesus, and by extension God, is intense about drawing me into salvation. And it's not just my salvation God is so intense about. Jesus is determined that if he is lifted up, all would be drawn towards his salvation. And this isn't the only place in the New Testament we get this impression. In the New Testament, we find Jesus telling a parable about a shepherd who searches for his lost sheep until he finds it, Luke 15, 4. We are told in 1 Timothy of a God who desires everyone to be saved, 1 Timothy 2, 3-4. We are informed in 2 Peter about a God who wants none to perish, 2 Peter 3, 9. We are taught in Romans 5 that the effect of Christ's obedience covered over the effect of Adam's sin. We hear in 1 Timothy of a Savior who gave himself as a ransom for all, 1 Timothy 2.6. 
and we are advised in 1 Corinthians about a God who will finally be all in all. 1 Corinthians 15.28 All of this dramatically expanded the way I now understand the meaning of the cross. When Christ said he would draw all people to himself if he was lifted up on the cross, that now speaks to me of God's intense saving will towards all people. And when I combine the intense saving will of God for all people with the Reformed tradition's emphasis on the sovereignty of God and the power of grace alone to save, I come to a powerful vision of the God who saves. I now see Christ on the cross as the beginning of an unstoppable grace, an irresistible one, which is working its way through all of humanity, little by little, bit by bit, in this age and in whatever ages are still to come, it keeps on working. It may seem to move in weakness, but it's actually moving with tremendous power, in the same way that running water slowly but surely carved out the beauty of these Ozark bluffs and hills. The grace of God is at work, slowly but surely carving out the beauty of each and every person, and ultimately of all creation. In crucifying Christ, the powers that were trying to stop him actually made him unstoppable. Why am I a Christian? Because by grace, Christ has drawn me and is continuing to draw me. There was a point in time when I would have told you that I didn't want to be a Christian. There was a time when the Apostle Paul would have told you the same thing. In his day, Paul was Christianity's greatest opponent, but the time came for Paul, and the time came for me, and the time came for you. And if the time hasn't come for you yet, I believe it will come. I believe in a coming time, as Paul puts it in Romans 14.11, when every knee shall bow, and when every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God, and I believe it will all happen by grace. And so, with the help of the Reformed theological tradition, I have come to see a grand view of the salvation which was unleashed when Christ was nailed to that cross. I have come to believe that when they nailed Christ to the cross, they unwittingly unleashed an unstoppable flow of grace and mercy and healing. The greatest stream of healing for humanity was ironically unleashed by the greatest act of violence by humanity. The best man who ever lived was subjected to the worst suffering and death man could ever inflict. Humanity crucified Christ, and Christ responded in love. And that released an immense saving power into the world for the healing of humanity, a loving power that is ultimately irresistible. And that power keeps on drawing us, and keeps on drawing us, and keeps on drawing us. And it doesn't ever stop, and it doesn't ever lose. And that's the good news, at least in my opinion. But I do think I'm right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for coming to us in love. Thank you for continuing to love us even when we turned on you. In Christ, you received our violence in love and turned it into an inexhaustible font of healing for the world. And we are eternally grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope that you were encouraged by that sermon. And I also hope you will continue to join me in believing in a grace that saves all.
Thank you for joining us in this episode of Grace Saves All. You can help spread the word by sharing this podcast with others and by giving it a rating on iTunes. If you want to find out more about David or if you'd like to leave him a message, go to his website, davidartman.net. In the meantime, let's work together to help a hurting world know about the greatest news ever announced.